Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Ascent Podcast, where we have a live video conversation where we get to know the human behind some of the top leaders in tech. My name is Andrew Tarvin. I'll be your host and MC for today. And today we're going to be talking to David Siegel, who is the CEO of Meetup. But before we get to that, just a couple of quick announcements for you. If you are joining us live today via the Remo platform, you are able to, of course, listen and watch today. But also, if you do have some questions, you can share those over in the Q&A functionality over on the right-hand side, and we may get a chance to get to those a little bit later. But more importantly, if you are listening to this after the effect on uh, Spotify or iTunes or that kind of thing, well, there is no built-in Q&A functionality, but you can always leave us a comment online, of course, or reach out uh, after the episode. And of course, be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast as well, because we've got some fantastic guests coming up down the pipeline. But we've also got a great guest for you today. Uh, I'm excited uh, not only for uh, this person's uh, work in terms of what they do today, also wearing an epic shirt, which you're going to see in just a uh, moment. But our guest today is David Siegel. He's the CEO of Meetup. Uh, he's a chief executive officer with 20 plus years of dramatically growing revenue and profit in the digital space. He's also a management professor at Columbia University. And at least according to his LinkedIn profile, he speaks Hebrew, but not fluently. So please welcome to your eyes and ears for today's conversation, David Siegel. David, and welcome to the podcast. That's my non-fluent Hebrew. <laughs> I like it. I don't speak any of it, so I'm going to take you at your word for it. <laughs> Excellent. We're so happy that you're, you're joining us today. And uh, before we jump into the, the meat of the conversation, we do like to start with a little bit of a rapid fire round just to get to know you a little bit more as a human. So uh, quick uh, kind of answers here. They can be one or two words for the most part, uh, but are you ready for rapid fire? Let's go. All right. I like it. Are you First of all, are you a morning person or a night owl? Morning. Okay, how early is morning? This woke this this morning I woke up at five, but that's abnormal. Normally like six, six fifteen, and then I start exercising. Okay, you start right into the exercise. We're actually gonna ask a, a little bit about that later today. Apple or Android? Apple. Okay. Introvert or extrovert? Definitely an extrovert. No question. <laughs> All right, that's fitting for the CEO of Meetup, I guess. Uh, let's see. When you were a kid, what did you want to grow up to become? I wanted to be an archaeologist, actually. I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark and fell in love. Yeah, you're like, ah, can I be Indiana Jones? That's it. He got all the girls. He did, yeah. And he had a pretty whip. Uh, he had a great, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's Harrison Ford, so who could, who, who wouldn't like that? I like it. Uh, what is your, currently your favorite hobby? Currently favorite hobby? Uh, huh. I would say these days... As much exercise as I could get, probably ping pong, tennis. I also play those a lot because it's easy for social distancing. Yeah, do you only play sports where you hit a ball with a racket, both ping pong and tennis? Are there other sports in there as well? Yeah, I play paddle tennis. Oh no, that's another racket one. Uh oh, uh, biking. Yeah, sure. Right, I, well, I, there we I, go. I do like right. uh, I, I've done a couple of uh, triathlons. Or a bunch oh of triathlons. wow, that is that oh. is quite uh, quite impressive. Not it's not for me. I I don't enjoy personally. I don't swim because I don't like a sport where it's like if you give up partway through it, you drown. Uh, well, right. You know that's why in a triathlon you always do the swing first. It goes from like highest chance of death to, to least chance of death. That's, that's <laughs> I like that. At least it is structured well. Yes. Uh, and the last part of the triathlon is nap. I'm assuming that's part yes. four. Oh, beer, I, beer, then nap. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, you got to get the beer first, right? You got to got to get the reward for it. Uh, what is a TV series that you are currently watching or recently finished? If okay, any? I just worked out this morning to Ozark. I like Ooh. I like shows about um, people who seem normal or actually quite uh, estranged on the outside. I'm not sure what that inside. I'm not sure what that says about me, but you know, I know it is. Ricky is there, is there a secret? Do we need to go into a deeper dive of a secret, a strange side of David yeah. Siegel? I maybe should be lying down and, and, and yeah. uh, on the couch for that part. Sure. Okay. All right. I like it. And who is uh, someone who you admire? Someone whom I admire. Uh, you know, my favorite book slash author who is a guy named Dale Carnegie from mm -hmm. How to Win Friends and Influence People. So I will go with Dale Carnegie. He uh, rose from nothing to create, to really focus on the human element of uh of of people working communication so i'll i'll go with him he's that that is a great answer uh that book transformed how i as an introvert was able to actually have conversations with people recognizing you could ask them questions and then you got to stop talking uh so i think a uh, great answer maybe people that's why want, people just want to talk about themselves that's what he said so it works for exactly. yep so i i like it very cool and uh so this last one isn't necessarily doesn't have to be one word um but we're we're fascinated here with the scent on the what's the story of your name does uh, the name have a, a specific meaning are you named after someone uh was it just a random selection uh in the hospital that day where does where do you, where do you get david siegel from can, can I, okay i'll give my last name because that's actually okay. i think a lot more interesting so I mentioned Hebrew earlier. So Siegel has three consonants, an S, a G, and an L. Take away the vowels. Mm -hmm. And in Hebrew, um, those are an abbreviation for the assistance to the priests. So my family uh, goes back to people who were assistants to the priests in ancient Israel, dating back by two, 3,000 years. Oh, that is fascinating. That is really cool. And so then just along the way, because that's kind of, if you put those three letters together, that's kind of how you'd pronounce them without vowels, I guess? Basically, uh, it's it's a it, it's a Samach Gimel Lam, which stands for Skan La Kohanim, which means assistant to the priest, basically. So yeah. many people who are, are have the last name of Siegel uh, came from this tribe called Levi tribe, which are the assistants to the priest. That's where okay. my last name comes from. Is that true for Steven Seagal? Because that's a little bit different. So yeah, I mean, you don't want to mess with him. So like if he was like an assistant, then that would make a lot of sense. But I would yeah. say likely true for him as well. Yes. Okay. All right. That is fascinating. I, I did go. not know that. I love yeah, David's so boring. I'm not going to tell you about David. Where that <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. So as we, you know, this is a, a podcast, listen to a wide variety of different people, people who are entrepreneurs, people who are founders of companies, people who are working in companies as well. And so one of the questions we're, we're very curious about just from a, a beginner's perspective is, do you remember the first way that you made money? Was it your first job out of school or did you do something kind of growing up? Yeah, yeah I actually did. <laughs> so speaking of hobbies, um, I used to be really into collecting baseball cards, like a lot of, uh, I guess, kids. And I used to, I, I became like into buying and selling and investing in certain baseball players. So I would, I would, I found like a, this player that I thought had a lot of potential. So I'd buy mm -hmm. like a hundred or 200 of his rookie cards. And then I would go back to baseball card shows a year or two later <laughs> and then try to sell the baseball cards. Um, and oftentimes I'm able to get it at a profit. And sometimes they were worth less than the cardboard that they were on. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I guess it got me into the, the business wheeling dealing mindset. I was probably, I don't know, 10, 11. Wow, 10 years old or 
Man, you would have. Are you? Do you play fantasy baseball or fantasy sports? Oh, yeah, no, I feel I've like been, that. <laughs> so I'm in the finals for a fantasy football uh, league next week, and I'm playing. I was the commissioner of my fantasy baseball league when everything had to be. I buy USA Today, and I would have to do all the all the additions and subtraction to figure out the entire everything by hand. And I spent hours and hours as the commissioner of fantasy league when I was in high school. And before that, I played stratomatic baseball and all the other kind of nerdy baseball sports back in the day. Oh, I even played real it. softball, but I played softball, not baseball. So, you know. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 It's a little bit different. No, it's similar to, it reminds me, I guess, and I was a mathlete in school, in high school, sure. uh, which if you're not familiar with mathlete, like they go to math Olympiads, et cetera. It's basically like sports if your favorite part is the stats. Uh, which it kind of sounds like that was the case for you with baseball too, of like loving the stats and the the numbers of it. Um, but very entrepreneurial of you of like, I'm going to invest, I'm going to try to see these, these rise. And so uh, certainly, right. You go to, um, you go to university, you go to Penn, you go to Wharton and uh, get some pretty senior leadership positions relatively early on in your career. I mean, you've been general manager at Dwayne Reed Express, senior vice president of 1-800-Flowers, president of Seeking Alpha, CEO of Investopedia, now CEO of uh, Meetup as well. Was the goal always business and management or was it kind of like you just kind of fell into that and just kept on you know, rising through the ranks? How does that, how does that kind of storied career happen? Yeah, sure. So I always like to say that I, when I go to a wedding, I'm definitely more of a smorgasbord guy than an entree guy, meaning I like like little bits of things as opposed to becoming like an expert in something. So when I was in college, I majored in philosophy, political science and economics, clearly not a path for business. Yeah. I maybe took one accounting class, actually. Why the hell not? But I was uh, I was all about that. And then because uh, there's a general maximum that if you don't do, then you don't know, then you consult. So I decided the best thing to do is to become a consultant. Um, because I knew nothing and uh, wouldn't that be perfect. Um, so I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. I consulted, then my biggest client was a company called DoubleClick. I was in human resources actually at DoubleClick as a human resources partner, which is an mm -hmm. atypical path towards becoming a, a CEO, but, but I think helpful. Um, and I had a mentor at DoubleClick who was the general manager, I had two mentors. One was the general manager of the business that I worked with, and the other one was the CEO of the company. Mm -hmm. uh, CEO of the company is a guy named Kevin Ryan, who 22 years later um, is now the chairman of Meetup, acquired Meetup. So I got him to acquire Meetup. So yeah. tells me it's good to keep keep in touch with people. Mm -hmm. um, so that really caught me interested in, in business. And then I went back for uh, a business, uh, an MBA at Warden because I was like, I don't know anything. I should probably learn something. I should learn a little and bit. And then I realized even after a business degree, I still don't know anything. So. <laughs> I like it. Well, and so I, I think that that mentorship piece, I think, is really, really important. So was that something intentional when you're at DoubleClick to like seek out? Was it just you happen to be friendly and, and you, you played on the softball team with this person? Like, were you how intentional was seeking out some some mentorship and guidance that, you know, probably helped you as you went through your career? And like you said, in some ways, coming back uh, with Meetup. Yeah, I would say extremely intentional. Um, mm -hmm. I've always really from a young age kind of loved learning from people and um and, and i really prioritized in, in business i was i was lucky to have my first consulting job have an opportunity to be mentored by people who had been consultants for 20 30 years and i i just couldn't believe how much i didn't know you know there's there's a famous i remember i got my my parents a card greeting card when i was like 24 and it said something like I'm going to butcher this, but you'll like it. It said something like, um, 
it's amazing how much my parents learned since uh, since I was 18 years old. <laughs> and it's it's kind of a, a truism where mm -hmm. you kind of when you're 18, you think you know everything. 20, you think you know everything. 24, 25, you hopefully realize you know so little. And um, and I, I have these amazing mentors, and I just uh, that that was a big focus of mine. I would say really trying to build meaningful relationships that were not just taking, but also trying to give in the relationship as well. Um, and, uh, and, 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 uh, I, I recommend it certainly for any leader. Yeah. And, and so I, I love that from, from an introvert's perspective, I guess, how does that, how, how does that type of relationship happen? Or is it just, you're casually kind of asking questions and they seem to respond to it? Is it like a formal, like call and be like, will you be my, my mentor type thing? Like what does like actually take place to, to build this type of mentorship yeah. thing? If someone is listening and they're like, ah, oh, I could yeah. use a mentor. Wow. Okay. So I have had people um, actually call me up who I know, of course, not out of the blue and say, Hey, I would like you to be my mentor. Can we get together like once a month? I'm like, I can't get together once a month. No, mm -hmm. but I can get together twice a year and I'm happy mm -hmm. to do that. So it's on you to get to reach out to me, you know, uh, twice, twice a year. And of course, anytime you need it, like if you're dealing with some kind of, kind of larger issue, you could call me like five times a week. Doesn't matter. Um, and I'm happy to do that. And I have a few people that do that. I didn't per se do that. Um, what I what I did is I was very proactive in just asking people to go to lunch with me, as as yeah, you know. Yeah. And I said, "Hey, um, I think uh, I, I'd love to learn from you. Would you be open to going to lunch together?" And I just actually did that um, fairly often. And I think when you're, I was 23, 24, and those people were let's say 35 to 40. Um, not many people just do that and, and people appreciate it. And they're like, I would love to go to lunch. And when people ask me if I could go to lunch, meet up employees that are junior or interns or whatever, I'm like, yeah, sure. I'd love to go to lunch. Who doesn't like a lunch? You can expense the lunch. It's wonderful. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I like so, that. Well, and it's, it's very, you know, Carnegie in a sense, like you said, of like going and be like, hey, and I ask this person questions, get to know them and, and all that. One of the things you mentioned though, was uh, the value of, trying to give back, right? Giving them value. So from your perspective, especially now being in as a mentor a lot of the time, what can a mentee provide to other people, uh, like to someone more senior to them? What kind of value can they bring? Yeah, so my students actually asked me that. Well, it's like one of their favorite questions. So here, here's a couple of thoughts on it. So number one is um, th there's a famous story about how Jack Welch uh, was mentored by "Quote unquote younger people when the internet first came out because mm -hmm. he was he was so not comfortable even having a computer in his office until a long time. So one thing that I think younger people can do is help people understand things like TikTok or things like just new technologies that that people are using that old fogies like me in our mid forties kind of don't have as much kind of comfort in and don't really understand why people use TikTok or Instagram or whatever. So that's one helping with kind of newer technologies. Number two is I think generally, Dale Carnegie would certainly say this, people love teaching others, people love helping others. So if it, you actually could think to yourself, I am doing this person a favor <laughs> as a junior person by presenting an opportunity for them to help me because they will mm -hmm. then, as, where does it sound, feel good about themselves because they will actually help me. And that's a wonderful thing to be able to facilitate as well. So it's not like it's just taking, but by, mm -hmm. by, by teaching you learn. And, and I find that myself. So 
So, so there's, there's, there's a positive to it, creating a situation where someone could teach you something because the teacher learns as well. So that's, that's kind of a second thing I would say. Um, and then, and then a third, I a third one is people are always looking for interns. People are always looking for um, junior employees, you know, entry level employees. Um, people just right out of school. So offer um, up your friends. I'll find out if someone's looking for, you know, hires between 22 and whatever, 28 younger people. And that's really helpful because mm-hmm. lots of companies are looking to hire younger people too. So there's a whole host of ways you can help someone that, yeah. that's yeah. senior. Well, I, I, I like that. I think certainly that second one that you mentioned, I've recognized that when I'm talking to people people ask, I mean, asking about, you know, pre- presenting skills or humor or that kind of stuff, it, me talking about a subject clarifies my own thoughts, exactly. right? Because you've asked me a question and I now have to like, well, I, I think this stuff, but to put it in words that someone else is going to actually understand it, it gives some clarity there. So I, I love that kind of point that you made. And a so, lot of people learn well by talking. So it makes exactly. sense. Yeah, makes it makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, from this, right, so you had these mentors early on. And like you said, you kind of like the, you know, more buffet style of thing. How do you pick the opportunities that you then went after? Because, you know, we may have some people listening that are like, how do I know if it's time to leave an organization or go to this, pop, you know, potential opportunity or otherwise? For you, what was that decision criteria? Was it just stuff that fell in your lap? Was it kind of a specific rubric? Was it the idea interests you? What was that kind of decision-making criteria to go from these different places? Okay, great. Um, yeah, if you look at the companies I worked at, Dwayne Reed was a retail store. Everyday Health is a health-focused company. Then I went to investing. It's really all over the place. Um, so the, the answer um, in my mind is I think people get overly focused on a specific industry to their detriment. Mm-hmm. So they don't even know about how interesting other industries can be. Um, in my mind, I think the, the, the most important thing to look for in, in a company is who you're going to be reporting into. Now you could say, well, your manager could end up changing and then you get screwed. And yes, that could happen, of course, but typically managers will stay around for two, three, four years and you develop a relationship. But I, I would say that I prioritized who I'd be reporting into and how much I could learn from that person and how much um, broad learning and exposure I could get to how companies actually work and how they run at kind of more senior levels. My dream job initially out of business school was to be an assistant to the CEO, which was to like, you know, help them PowerPoint presentation or strategy or board decks or whatever, um, because I thought it would give me a, as broad a range of opportunity as possible. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get that, um, but but I got something similar to it, which was like business development and strategic planning at, at, this, at this pharmacy chain um called Dwayne Reed, which was ultimately acquired by Walgreens later. So um, I would say people overemphasize um, industry and, and, and underemphasize who they're working for. And who you work for is ultimately the person that could uh, set the stage for your career, that could give you opportunities. That would be my advice. So yeah, I always practice yeah, that way. Well, I think I think it's a, a great reminder of that, that you're not working just for a company, but you're working for a person and that's your manager and the, the support system around that can have a big impact on your success or failures within that, 
within that role or within that that job. And so what was it about then meetup, right? Especially the CEO, is it then looking at the board of directors that you're like? No, no, that's different. Once you're getting a CEO job, you're not looking for who you're reporting into really, because that's a a different story. And I was reporting into uh, ultimately like Adam Newman at WeWork Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, that's a whole nother thing. Um, So uh, I think as I kind of progressed in my my career, mission became far more important to me than nearly anything else. So at Investopedia, we are, we, the company is the world's largest financial education business. And, mm-hmm. and, and I actually love personal finance and financial education. And I love education generally um, and, and, and teaching and the power and importance of education. And, and I've seen with my own eyes people that squandered their savings or didn't save enough or didn't save for retirement, et cetera. So that mission actually like deeply spoke to me about how could we help people to become more financially savvy and learn more. And then Meetup, even more so, because Meetup is all about building community. It's all about, you know, we're the world's largest platform for building community. Mm-hmm. Um, we have 15,000 Meetup events every single day. And we have events that help to support people through, um, uh, everything from parents of children with ADHD to breast cancer support to pe- lawyers who want to become engineers, you name it, we have it. Hiking groups, you know, et cetera. Um, and, and the importance of people and the importance of connecting with people um, really spoke deeply to me, possibly all the way back to my days of working in human resources and how important that, that generally is to me, the people side of things. So, um, I would say mission orientation is like my number one, and I would not work for a company now. I mean, you know, you're you're you work more hours than you do anything else, mm-hmm. um, uh, so you better do something that you're passionate about, and and uh, that that now is my priority. Absolutely, and I think you're also seeing that with a little bit of a young of the younger generation, they they put that you know meaningful work even more important. Not just meaningful that their work has contributions to the organization, but that the organization itself is doing something that is. Meaningful, and this was language I hadn't seen until doing a little bit of research for this interview, to be perfectly honest, is the phrasing around even the numbers that Meetup has in understanding the impact of loneliness, right? So looking at loneliness can have the same impact on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It can be more dangerous in obesity. And, you know, that you've done the research to know that Meetup can help to people to feel better and fight that loneliness. In fact, in one study saying that 80% of people who go to meetup events feel more connected to others. And so was it that type of messaging that kind of brought you in or now that you've been in there of like even elevating that messaging so that people know the the mission of the the organization even more? I mean, both. I've been going to meetup events and been part of meetup groups for a decade. Um, mm-hmm. So I had seen it kind of firsthand um, in terms of groups that I've been a part of, groups that friends have been a part of. Um, I have friends that have, unfortunately have had serious bouts with depression or loneliness, anxiety, et cetera. And the best, one of the best ways to help to um, address it is to find people that could help to support you, that could help to learn from, and not to try to think that you could fix it on your own, not to try to think that like, you know, getting into your phone and just reading random articles on the internet is, is the way to go. It's not the way to go. It's like really dangerous, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say I'd always believed in it. And then when I got here and I read st- statistics, like 42% of people regularly feel lonely. 
crazy. 25% of people don't even have a single one, not one trusted confidant, not a single trusted wow. confidant, like terrifying. 63% of Gen Zers regularly feel lonely, which is, you know, even more terrifying that younger people feel lonely. So, so, um, and then I meet with like, I get emails from you know therapists who say something like, I'm, literally therapists will, will reach out to me and say, I subscribe Meetup to all of my all of my patients because it helps them so much. And then I get emails from people who are learning technology. I'm like, hey, I would never have learned C whatever programming language um, if it was not for for Meetup. So that yeah, was very gratifying. Yeah, you get a you get a balance of both. And, and to be perfectly honest, I don't know if I would have my career that I have now if not for Meetup. So my oh. yeah, so my background uh, just very shortly is degree in computer science and engineering. Was at Procter and Gamble, but then started using humor because I was doing improv and stand up, and fell in love with this idea of speaking because speaking is almost stand up with a message, and I could bring the engineering kind of effectiveness and efficiency along with humor as a way to execute it. And so when I was early on in my kind of speaking career, I went on meetup.com and reached out to a bunch of, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't be revealing this. I don't know if this was spam technically, but I reached out to a bunch of places in New York City on meetup that were like, hey, you're speaking about blank. Can I come and talk about humor and agile networking or humor and you know programming or humor and dating or whatever? And that got me kind of you know my first couple of gigs as a speaker. That's awesome. I love it. That's fantastic, Andrew. That's so great. Very entrepreneurial. That's so Yeah, awesome. right? And you and finally, but, but like you said, there's there's an opportunity. You go and you're finding people who are, are like-minded in some way. As in, For an introvert, it's very helpful for things to be event-based because it's one thing to go to like a networking event. It's another thing when it's like centered around a topic or a passion because you just start talking about that obvious passion or topic as opposed to like, do you want to be my friend? It's more of like, hey, let's talk about quantified self. That's a fascinating subject. Oh yeah. Now we're building a relationship. Yeah. No, for introverts, I was just speaking to an introvert uh, on Friday um, who's a meetup organizer. And, he, and he, I asked him how he got into meetup. And he said, he's always loved board games because it's easier for an introvert to play board games. And he went to a board game meetup group and he ended up finding his wife through meetup. He ended, he's, he's organized three different groups. He's had four weddings happen through his meetup groups. I mean, it's really, <laughs> you know, it, the really mixing of the personal and the professional is, is one of the, one of the most beautiful things I think that, 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 that exists. Um, uh, but uh, it, it really has the opportunity to help to, to change people. Great things happen when you get together in person with other people. And when you can't get together in person, then um, Zoom is a very distant second, but uh, it still is 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 more valuable than than not getting together with people at all. Absolutely. Well, that's yeah, and that's a great tagline of what you just shared there. But and that, but that's an interesting thing that I do want to talk about because you know Meetup fifty two million members worldwide have three hundred thirty thousand Meetup groups. Uh, astonishing number, hundred and one hundred ninety three different countries as well, and then the end of March happens, right? You, you, coronavirus is like basically shutting down all social events. Uh, also kind of just kind of like no longer with WeWork and, and getting, you know, sold. Or that's on March 27th. <laughs> uh, right, yeah, so this confluence of like, first of all, I, I want to talk about the pivot and the strategy, but what was your like mindset like that week? Were you like, yes, opportunity for change? Or were you like, oh no, like what? happen like how do you handle that news as as the ceo of, a, of an organization where you're feeling both these two difficult things at the same time yeah uh <laughs> but i i 
WeWork had told me that they were going to put the company up for business back in, in September of 2019. So it had been a six month process of meeting with um, 30 to 50 different companies. Um, I, at, the, at the last minute, I was able to bring in um, someone who I've known for over 20 years, Kevin Ryan, um, and another investor, and, and they acquired the company from WeWork. So the biggest feeling was just deep breath. Yeah. Very happy. He's an incredible, he's someone who I trust. I, I also like on a personal level um, and, uh, and, and just huge deep breath. Cause I knew that he would not take a just short-term perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and the challenge of the, of COVID was, was frankly built into the price of, mm-hmm. of the company. Um, had, had the company uh, been acquired, you know, two, three months prior, it mm-hmm. would have been a different price. So, so I needed I needed to have a partner that was going to take a long term perspective and not just say, "Oh my God, the sky is falling, fire half of your team" or whatever the the message would have been. That wouldn't have worked for me. I wouldn't have ended up likely staying. So they definitely came hand in hand. I, I would say in terms of COVID, listen, when we were in March, most people did not think that you know nine months later we were still here. So I was just like. Okay, it's it's a blip. It's you know March. By the time it's it's April, you know we're we're all going to be celebrating Memorial Day barbecues together. Worst case, and and uh, well, we were all wrong. Um, so I think in March, no one realized. Few people realized how kind of impactful it would be, mm-hmm. um, especially in um, I mean in China. It's amazing how how less impactful it actually was considering um, the origins. Um, um, but, uh, so I, I was just kind of more, more big sigh of breath that we got this thing done and we have great owners and everything will work out great. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, and, and you actually did a, a session for the Ascent conference uh, on how to pivot, uh, which yeah. I think was great. And in that you talked about, you know, different strategies for pivoting, but one of the ones that stood out to me was, uh, how you said to make sure to leverage your data almost as like kind of this competitive advantage or at least part of the pivot strategy. And, and I guess to you and for Meetup, what did that mean? How did you leverage data to inform the pivot? Yeah, of course. So, um, you know, starting in early March, we started seeing China China's Meetup events go down by like 95%. Whoa. <laughs> and then Italy's Meetup events went down by like 90%. It's like, uh-oh, this isn't good. And then, and then we started seeing, you know, the data moving in that direction. So we said, okay, this, this is, this is major. We can't just like tiptoe around this. And then other people within Meetup said, but we're all about in person. Mm-hmm. We, we're giving up our soul if we, if we allow for, you know, online connections. That, in mm-hmm. fact, the number one reason why we denied Meetup group groups from joining was because it was online only. <laughs> that was the number one reason why we denied a group. So, um, so. It didn't take long. I kind of decided CEO could top down. It's it's not about in person. It's about human connecting, and mm-hmm. we must pivot. And that's it. So in terms of um, leveraging data, number one is the data was obvious that we had to had to pivot quickly. Mm-hmm. Number two is uh, we got an understanding from data of kind of which um, aspects of our business, which aspects of our iOS app or Android app or web, um, we needed to change as quickly as possible. So we used data in terms of our product product solution. Um, and then we also, shortly thereafter, we started seeing, for example, on Black Lives Matter, um, after um, George Floyd was murdered, 
we started seeing a tremendous number of groups growing on Meetup around that. So we looked at the data. We're constantly looking at data, seeing what trends are happening. Like for now, for example, now, um, not surprising, spirituality, wellness, um, uh, taking care of oneself is all kind of going through the roof, those type, types of Meetup groups. Um, and we made some important decisions, uh, like making Meetup free for anyone who organized a, a group um, focused on racial equality um, and social justice. So, so you know, I think any entrepreneur who is not deeply data centric is better find their number two and number three who are highly data centric. It's just it's just the most important thing to not make just gut based decisions, but to make real data driven decisions. Yeah. Uh, as an engineer who kind of considers emotions to just be data, I appreciate you saying that because it does help me feel like, right, uh, of that. Because you're right, it, it's giving insight because as an entrepreneur, you sometimes have a thought of what you want your product or your brand or your identity to be, but a lot of times it's what people say about it anyway. Right. And I think that's a, a great point to recognize to go from we're rejecting meetings because they're online only to being like, no, we the item is meetup of like, community is connection going back to that that bigger picture goal of what the organization was about allows you to say oh well if we have to be physically distanced maybe we can doesn't mean that we have to actually be socially distanced that we can be you know we can do these things virtually which i think is is a really you know cool part of the, the story and you have the data to kind of back it up as well and and so along with in addition to being the ceo at uh meetup you are also a professor you've been adjunct professor at pace and now you're a professor at columbia university school of international and public affairs where you teach entrepreneurial organization and strategic management to uh master's degree students uh my question is why <laughs> i mean is, is is meetup not i don't mean that like kind of facetiously but i mean it seems like meetup is probably in and of itself a good amount of work for you what's the What's the value or the draw or the passion for educating others? Yeah, I mean, I, I really think that when you're teaching strategy or you're teaching entrepreneurship or you're talking about culture, it has happened to me dozens and dozens of times that I will be talking, I'll be preparing for class, a case study, I'll be talking to students about something, and then I realize, oh my God, I'm not doing this in Meetup right now. Um, <laughs> There are so many times that I, I definitively, not just feel, but I know that I am a better CEO because I'm forced to verbalize, like we had talked about earlier. I'm forced to, forced to kind of um, confront theories or practice and remind myself of things that kind of were in the back of my head and then bring them like all the way to the front of the head. So uh, so I think I'm a better 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 professor because I'm a CEO, and I think I'm a better CEO because I'm a professor. And I and, I, and that's number one. Number two is I think philanthropy comes in all stripes, and obviously charity is very very important. And I I try to commit myself to charity. Um, in addition to money philanthropy, I think there's something to be said for time philanthropy. Mm -hmm. and, and and I actually I tell my students this they they feel it's funny, but but but. I actually see teaching as philanthropy. I think it's it's taking something that's a skill set of yours, and and it, at this point, I have a course curriculum. And it's in the beginning. It took tremendous amounts of time. It's easier now, and using and providing philanthropy of your time, and and that makes me feel great. And and frankly, when you do things that feel great, it's an investment, and you end up having more time. So mm. it, it's 
it's efficient to spend an hour and a half doing something or two hours a week, whatever it is, a week to give you more energy to be able to accomplish more things and other aspects of life than to spend the two hours watching more Breaking Bad or, or whatever things. I mean, nothing wrong with Breaking Bad. Um, I like the show. But, but I would say is that just like exercise, teaching is also a positive investment in time because it creates more positive energy for yourself. And that energy could be used for other things with family, work, et cetera. Well, and what a, what a great phrase of uh, a positive investment of time. I really like that distinction of it because I, I think you're exactly right of, uh, you know, I, when I speak on, it's kind of annoying. I don't know if, uh, if your family does this as well, but like I, I speak a decent amount on stress management. And so then when I'm feeling stressed, my wife is like, Shouldn't you be doing the things that you're talking about with stress management? Didn't you <laughs> tell a group about that yesterday? Like, you know, like, all right, fine. Like, yeah, you, you, you practice what you preach a little bit more yeah. when you're constantly saying it. So I love that distinction that even just vocalizing it out. But I, I do think for the, the entrepreneurs listening, because there, there's such this, I feel like, uh, mentality that it's, you know, you've got to put in the 140 hours a week of 168 hour work week or whatever to be successful. And there's there's almost a, uh, a romanticizing, like how much you're just solely focused on this one thing, but kind of to your perspective by giving back in the form of time, not only are you actually helping people, but you're helping yourself as well. Yeah. I mean, listen, if, it, if, if it's in TV shows, then it must be true, right? That's what entrepreneurs say. So, I mean, <laughs> you, it, it, there's an incredible danger to working those number of hours it is not a sustainable thing and doesn't necessarily get people to be their best. Can you work 60 hours a week and that could be sustainable? Yes. But something, anything more than that, I think, is, is potentially really detrimental to all other aspects of life and relationships, et cetera. And you need, I think one needs um, um, personal health and, and, a, and a personal life and, and the balance between that in order to ultimately be successful in one's professional life. So, um, yeah, I agree. That's great. And so now, obviously, as a professor, you teach a lot, but at the same time, you're getting exposed to a, a younger generation of people. So is there anything that you've learned from your students that kind of resonates with you, aside from the stuff of you just kind of speaking things out loud? Yeah. Uh, well, first, I would say also I've hired probably six to eight students who for as interns or as employees and and that's great because then Meetup has benefited from from the hiring uh, from, from from teaching as well. So so again, that's an example where as a company uh, we we could win. And I never hire them personally; they get an opportunity yeah. to interview, of course. And then whoever on the team ends up hiring. Them I was going to say, so it's not just like know. take David's class to be like you're going to have like you know thirty. I'm gonna, I'm like going to sign up for this you know master's degree course or just be like maybe exactly. it's my and then, then I get a job. Um, learning wise from the students, I would say. I have found it, you know, we talked about the, the, the focus on, um, on mission mm -hmm. and, and really um, caring about, about one's cause. And it's really important to help to understand the mindset of, that goes into, into it. And as part of my course, I will um, take two, three different times I'll get together in a bar with students and we'll just ask the professor anything kind of things. And um, that's been fascinating for me, just understanding 
how people's focus on social causes and what, where that comes from and why that's so important to so many people, that's number one. Number two is, I don't know, I get incredible motivation by specifically, specifically international students, of which SIPA has many at Columbia, whose parents or families are from China, Thailand, wherever, and they may have come from just more challenged surroundings um, or just very different types of government systems. And their um, ability to persevere and their grit uh, and their zest for curiosity and learning, it's just so infectious. It's just so infectious. Um, I would say that, that's been another incredible learning for me. Uh, and in particular, just really understanding the different different cultures and, 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 and people from different cultures and how that relates to human communications. When you have someone from, you know, you talk about Dale Carnegie, the importance of smiling, and you have a couple people from the former Soviet Union being like, like, no, that's, you know, and, and really having discussions about that. It, it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, uh, particularly, yeah, humor is, is one of those things that we talk a lot at an international level. And, and my kind of belief on it is that, you know, what people laugh at changes culturally, but that people laugh is a universal. It is something that everyone does. And so it's adapting to those those cultures. It's very much a, a part of the, the human experience. But I love that you get that perspective by putting yourself in this position as a, Professor, so you know you got the uh, you know CEO meetup. Your professor as well. So we're also curious, right? Because you're also talking a little bit about this idea of uh, you know not working 800 hours in a week. What's your what's your morning routine like? That's one of the questions that we like. You say you're up early, like in 60 seconds or less. What are you doing when you hit the you know when you wake up at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m.? Okay, wake up. <laughs> uh, always drink like two giant glasses of water because hydration is really important. In fact, I put electrolytes in my water just to even super hydrated. Uh, get some food uh, and, and into like different vitamins stuff, ground vitamins. And then usually I find some either yoga, stretching or, or exercise. You can tell I'm not a big weightlifter. I should probably do more. Um, but I, I would say running in the morning, biking in the morning. Fortunately, it's snowy outside, so I went downstairs and went on the treadmill this morning and ran there. Um, but but I'm a big fan of kind of some yoga, maybe a little bit of meditation. To me, that's just gets you gets you excited and gets you. For me, it just you have tons of energy from the day. And if if I don't do that, I feel sluggish most days. So okay. I would say almost every morning I'm doing some kind of some kind of exercise, yoga, um, or at the very least, rapid walking outside. All right, I like it. So you're you're a, maybe a fan of the subreddit Hydro Homies. I love that starting with a there's a whole subreddit dedicated people that just love drinking water. So I love the 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 water right there early in the morning. Exercise when you're just curious when you're exercising. Is it like are you trying to zone out and not think about anything? Are you thinking about the day and structuring it? Is it kind of whatever thoughts happen to come up? Are you listening? No. To something instead, always listening. Always listening to something. I'm always listening to a podcast. Uh, I'm, that's not true. I'm either con reach out to a friend and we'll set a time at like 7.30 or 8 o'clock to kind of go walking together or with my wife. But if I'm walking by myself, um, I'm always listening to something. Or if I'm running by myself, then I'm always listening to someone running, which is, you know, some kind of podcast. Uh, you know, the Ascent Live podcast, you know, one of, one of the best ones out there. So...
gave it on the stream. There he is. Okay. All right. There's a, a slight. Oh yeah. I'm almost always listening to a podcast when uh, when when I'm running in the morning. For sure. For sure. Freakonomics. Uh, yeah. I, I like it. Oh, Freakonomics. Excellent recommendation. That was going to be my question of uh, what to to do. Okay. So last segment. Uh, we have a uh, various segments that we do on the podcast. This particular segment is. Uh, is uh, called uh, shared name. So I'm curious, sir. I when when doing a little bit of research on David Siegel, there are a few other David Siegels out there. Yeah. Do you yeah. know? Are you aware of them? Do you know what they do? Yeah. So first of all, I am LinkedIn connected to four David Siegels. I'm very proud of that. Oh, nice. Um, kind of funny. When I graduated from Penn, there were three other David class. So that sucks. <laughs> One of them was in my like peer group. He actually couldn't couldn't stand being referred to as the other David Siegel, so he changed his name to Damien Siegel because he was so tired of being known wow. as the other David Siegel. Um, but the famous David Siegel is known as like I don't know, the Prince of Versailles or something like that. He owns the largest house I think in the, owns a house in the Hamptons that has like I don't know a hundred bedrooms or some crazy thing like that. And he's he's a, the founder of a of like a vacation mm -hmm. of a a big vacation vacation home but but you know you know like many people you type in your name and i'm like oh my god i'm finally moved up to like the second page of google at the bottom and uh that was that was a very exciting moment very exciting day yeah uh, i love it uh there's also david siegel german ski jumper um oh. I sell. Um, but i'm currently in germany so it, it's possible that that's why um that's why they came up yeah andrew tarvin is it used to be there's a small town in, in uh england called tarvin england and there's a saint andrew's church there so if you used to google andrew tarvin you got the church first and luckily my seo is better than a small church in in england i think so i'm, I'm now the top spot if you google that but uh, certainly you can go Google David Siegel to find out more, but how else can people find out a little bit more about you? If they're like, Hey, I love this message. I, you know, I want to follow on, on social media or, uh, something else. What's the best way for people to, to follow what you're up to? Sure. Uh, I would say, um, you can link in with me. I'm very easy to find to stay up in David Siegel meetup and link in. I'm trying to get more involved on Twitter at David Mayer Siegel. Mayer is my middle name, M-E-I-R. And I'm actually starting a podcast, which will be launched next month a couple uh, and a couple of weeks from now called keep connected which uh is another way to um learn more about what's going on at meetup we just had our first step first four uh tapings last week oh that is fantastic so be sure to uh find uh keep on connecting is that the name of it just just sorry keep, keep connected connect, keep connecting yes yeah. so, uh, be sure to look up keep connecting and also subscribe and uh rate that once that comes out same thing with the ascent podcast as well uh be sure to connect with uh david on linkedin well david thank you so much for joining us today it's been an honor to uh chat with you to hear more about your story and to learn about the human behind the uh tech leaders that we have out there for those uh listeners as a reminder uh, this has been the Ascent Podcast brought to you by the Ascent Conference, which you can find out more about at ascentconf.com, as well as uh, by Humor That Works and myself, Andrew Tarvin, which you can learn more about at humorthatworks.com. But uh, be, uh, be safe out there, of course. Thanks so much for listening. And until uh, next time.